Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. What's up, guys? So we're just coming back. We had a little bit of snafu, a little bit of tech issues, but we're back. We persevered. We took a deep breath. And here we are. I'm with Violet Rainwater. And we're going to go deep today on a really important topic, which is about mental health and overall wellness in the workplace. It's, it's something that we don't talk about, but that all needs to change. And thanks to Violet, we're going to do that. So Violet, let's get into it. Awesome. Let's do it. Yep. I'm here. I'm advocating for mental health and wellness in the workplace. It's time. I worked 20 years in corporate and there was very little attention to this. And it was the one thing that would have made all the difference in the world. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about it. It's definitely something we need to raise awareness on. So kind of in our previous conversation, you mentioned that um, a lot of the struggles, a lot of the issues that we have in the workplace, they can actually be stemmed back to childhood adversity. Not they can, they mm. actually are because the brain gets programmed during a certain age and it's during childhood that our programming that works for the rest of our lives gets implanted into the brain. And so for many of us that had childhood adversity, think of it as a virus. There was a virus that was put in the brain that causes, just like a virus in a computer, it would cause you to not be as efficient, right? You could only reach certain heights if you have a, a computer can only go so fast if there's a virus in there. It can only work so well if there's a virus in there. Same thing with the programming of the brain. So the difference is, think about adversity in childhood versus adversity as adults. So when we go through trauma as an adult, we can develop what's called PTSD, which messes with your personality, right? However, in childhood, when we go through adversity, it actually shapes our personality. And that's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's a term for it, CPTSD, and so many of us struggle with it from one degree to another, and we're triggered by the stress of the workplace. So it's adding to the problem. It keeps harming us more and more and more. And I'm here to provide the knowledge and the tools to begin healing, to begin a journey of healing so that that individual can actually share their gifts with the world. And that's how we're going to make the world of the workplace a better place by healing ourselves and bringing that light into the world. Well, see, I so connect to this idea because so many people that, you know, I know that I've met over the years, you know, if you really kind of dig deep and if you ask the right questions and um, if there's kind of openness about this, people talk about the struggles that they've gone through in their life, in their childhood, in their young adulthood, tribulations, risks, failures, you know, all sorts of devastating things that have happened to them. And we all know that those are the things that shapes us as human beings, because, you know, I'm a firm believer that life is about how we react to the things that are presented to us, you know, and we have a choice for the most part on how we can act. But that said, there are some things that are so deeply ingrained inside of us that we might not even know that they're lingering, you know, complex PTSD. That sounds profound. I mean, a lot of people don't know that. Um, I didn't know it. I didn't know it until I got diagnosed at 41, you know, so can you imagine if I got diagnosed at 21 and Mm. and I would have what you could have done? Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing. So, I mean, I guess my first question is, you know, how can we make this, you know, given all the privacy and given the maybe sometimes secrecy that people have 
And sometimes just the maybe ignorance, the naivety of what actually is going on in our minds and our souls. How can we make this level of communication um, be more open in the workplace? Yeah, I think it begins with awareness. I think it's, it begins with educating because most people do not have an awareness to the fact that their brain was compromised. They do not have an awareness that they continue creating the same patterns, living paycheck to paycheck, living a life of struggle in certain areas of our lives. And we will not break that habit unless we get to the root and we can't get to the root unless we have an awareness. And so I think this is where organizations really have a due diligence to begin uh, making the mental health of their team members their number one priority because that is the foundation of how we show up to work and how we interact with our colleagues and our customers and our prospects. And so by investing in their mental health through different aspects, there's so many subject matter experts out there, but it's bringing this awareness into your organization and being committed to the mental health and sharing that as part of your culture. We're here, we want our team members healthy and providing that knowledge and giving them the tools to understand, hey, what are the things that go on in our workplace that trigger you, that bring you to a state of where you lose connection to your peace, when your palms get sweaty, when your heart rate starts you know, increasing. Everyone has a different workplace trigger. You might work with people that trigger you. You know, what do you do in those situations? You might have a boss that triggers you. I had that. Mm. <laughs> Anytime you walk by me, I was completely triggered. So it's really good to begin with having an awareness to our triggers and what that's really about. That's where we have to begin. Where does this communication happen? Does it happen with HR? Is, is it kind of a, a special, is it a new type of role that should exist in, in corporate? What does that look like? I feel that all leaders need to be having this conversation. All leaders need to be trauma-informed because they're looking at their team members and they're seeing disengaged teams. They're seeing low morale, um, no accountability, no outside-of-the-box thinking, right? And so those are the symptoms that they're focusing on and they're trying to bring in tools to drive engagement. There's one thing that will drive all of that and that is if you bring in tools to help them move away from fight and flight and move into rest and digest. It's our parasympathetic wing of our nervous system. That's why yoga is so effective. That's why breath work is so effective. That's why meditation is transformational because it activates the parasympathetic wing of the nervous system, which creates new pathways in the brain. And that is very healing for the brain. And it begins to fully develop the way that it should have originally when we are children. So there's transformational tools that are out there that companies just don't even have an awareness to because they're not talking about the problem. What are the requirements interpersonally, not logistically, not resource-wise, what are the requirements here in order for that level of transparency and I think more so trust to exist between a manager, a subordinate, between coworkers, between corporate and employee, between these individuals in this scenario? What's required? That's a great question. In fact, I was just doing a call with Ryan McCarty. He speaks on this very topic. And what he was saying is that 
it's really about the leaders sharing their own stories. Mm, well, you have to start with the leader has to face their own childhood adversity, right? And, and begin their own healing and then be able to share that with their team members. Because as they become vulnerable, like if I had a leader that came up to me and shared with me how they struggled with anxiety and what that was about. And I, you know, I notice things, I see things that remind me of how I used to be. And here's some helpful things for you. I mean, that would have been huge. That would have been tremendous. So I think leaders need to begin first by becoming trauma aware themselves. Like that is the future of business, healthy whole individuals. But we have to have leaders that are trauma aware, both from themselves and then for those that they lead. Leaders to become trauma aware, you, they don't teach that in business school. Right? I know. I went not, to business I've never school. read this in a book. I've read a right? handful of leadership books. I got an MBA. I've gone through the case studies. I've right? never heard. Me too. Me leaders. too, my friend. I know. That's why I'm doing this. That's why it blows my mind. It's transformational information. You know, it's transformational tools. Yeah. This is what's missing in the workplace. This is the light that's going to light everything up. You know, it, we spend half of our waking hours in the workplace. Why not give us tools to help us heal? Healing is what it's all about. That's when we can operate at peak level is once we begin a journey of healing. That's self-actualization. That's what Carl Rogers referred to as the people of tomorrow. And they mm. walk among us. There's people that walk among us that are healed and whole and they're sharing their gifts and it's beautiful. But every single one of us came here to do that. And I'm going to make sure that we all have the tools to do just that. Well, you know, you know what's amazing about this overall philosophy is that it's so critical for performance. It's so critical for 100%. growth. Hundred percent. Amen. You know? Thank you, Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've sort of come to this realization that so many of us, including myself, first and foremost, is that we're living in a glass ceiling, and that glass ceiling is created by ourselves. We believe that for certain reasons, there's limitations that we have and we can't overcome them. We cannot achieve the things that we want to because of this idea, because of this limitation or because of this construct. But if we just dig deep and really understand why we feel that and then how we can sort of overcome that, the sky's the limit, you know, pardon Absolutely. the cliche, but we are, our success is just a matter of how much we want it to be, you know? And I think, I think about this topic a lot. In fact, as a leader and also a follower, you know, I tried to have this idea of true kind of openness and transparency. And I think to your point, it really starts with vulnerability. It starts with saying, you know what, these are some of the things that I've gone through in my life. Yeah. This is some of the adversity and here's how I'm working to overcome it. I'm not perfect, yeah. um, but let's work together as a team. It requires a lot of trust. It requires a total safe place. Something yeah. unfortunately that a lot of people feel like they don't have in the work, in the work. Right. But imagine if they did, Ruben, like mm. imagine the future of the workplace where we did have that trust because leaders understood that that was a foundation to growth and advancement, right? So there's so much work to be done here, but it's going to spread because light spreads, right? And so more and more companies are starting to understand the importance of mental health and wellness. I think they just are still a little in the dark as to, okay, what do we do? What does that mean? Do yeah. we give them a membership to the gym? You know, so mm -hmm. there's different things. But I, what they really need to get to is to the root. I really feel neuroscience and neuroplasticity is the future of business. Mm. Providing tools 
tools that are based on neuroplasticity to allow the healing of the brain to drive performance. And so bringing in that branch of knowledge into the workplace, that's exactly what I talk about. I mean, this is science-based. This is not woo-woo, right? And so I feel that that is what 2020 is going to be all about for organizations as they're more and more open to a new way of being in business. So talk to me about that. Neuroplasticity is the future of business. I'm I'm hooked. Talk to me through that. Yeah. So essentially, here's what I learned on my journey. And I'm not a neuroscientist. I've just learned it enough to be able to heal myself. And I provide it as a tool to help my clients heal and to drive team performance. But essentially, when we were young, our brain was programmed, as I explained to you. And for a long, the longest time, science believed that the brain was fixed that the brain, once it was developed, you couldn't change it. And just about 20 years ago, they made a huge breakthrough where they realized, no, the brain can be fixed. And it can be fixed through neuroplasticity by creating new pathways in the brain. So here's an example. When you were programmed, right? And so think of that that pathway, that programming, like I'm not good enough. We'll use one of mine there. I'm not good enough. Okay, and so that, every time I think I'm not good enough, it goes here, 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 right? And so what neuroplasticity says is in order to create new pathways in the brain, you simply have to send new information. So a new information would be when I normally would feel not good enough and let's say I eat a bagel, now I feel not good enough and I sit quietly in meditation and I find my peace. That breaks an old pattern. And it sends a new pathway in the brain. And the way that we heal the brain is by sending new pathways again and again and again and again. So it's small things repetitively. So doing new business practices over and over and over again, like, for example, incorporating lavender oil at taking a few deep breaths of lavender oil in between segments, that creates new pathways in the brain. So it's starting to do things in a new way that are all about healing. Mm. So it's about the right nutrition, the right hydration, um, meditation, uh, movement, energy, all of these things that you're using to drive business while you're driving your health and your vitality. And so that's what neuroplasticity is. It's simply sending new information to the brain that's healing to the brain, that's going to allow it to fully develop and operate at a level that is not able to operate at from where you are today. Does that wow. make sense? That makes a ton of sense. That's what, how we tap into our potential mm-hmm. through neuroplasticity. There's no other way around it. There's no new CRM. There's no SEO or marketing. It's mm-hmm. none of that. It's none of that. It's 100% the programming of the brain, and we have the power to change that in every minute. And so we need to have this knowledge. We need to bring this into the workplace, and companies need to be open to this because the majority of their team members struggle with a mental disorder. Most of us struggle with it. It's just what degree do we struggle to? So let me understand what you just said. I want to make sure I understand that. So you said most of us suffer from a mental disorder to a certain degree? Yes. That's crazy. Talk to me about that. What does that mean? Well, I think that we just live in a world where so many things we just think is normal. Like how many times do you hear people say, yeah, I tend to worry or, oh, I'm a people pleaser or I'm a perfectionist. Do you, have you ever heard those type of terms? Every day. That's a mental disorder. When I talk to myself in the mirror. 
that's a mental disorder. <laughs> but I'm saying there's no shame in it. Like we, and all it is, is a virus in the brain. That's it. Like it's not, you know, there's no like we're not, we're less than or weaker than or not. Sm- Actually, the more adversity we had, the bigger the gifts that we came with. That, I believe if that. If we can heal, I believe that. go on that healing journey, right? So actually, it's there's no shame at all. You had childhood adversity. Stand on that mountaintop because you were chosen for a very big mission. You just have a lot of healing to do. But I'm here to give the tools. There's so many thought leaders that are here to provide the tools so everybody can start stepping up and sharing their gifts in the world. That's what's going to save our planet. That right there. Well, you know, there's this old term, this very antiquated, chauvinistic, terrible term that I think a lot of people in business, you know, it's maybe more of a male thing, but genders aside, it's this idea of FU energy. You know, I want to be successful because of FU energy. <laughs> and talk about a perfect example of having, having gone through trauma, having gone through adversity, you know, having gone through hatred, having gone through people telling you that you can't do something, that you can't be successful. And then you, culminating, creating all this light, all this energy to want to become successful to prove other people wrong. It's not positive. It's not good. It's not healthy. And that was me for so many (laughs) years. That's why I could never feel. I thought, you know, I thought it was all about money because I came here in 1978 and like we're walking into the decade of bling, 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 like the 80s. It was all about more, bigger, right? And so I bought into the idea that the American dream was all about money. And as soon as I got into the workplace, it was, okay, when I can make 100. Well, when I made 100, nothing changed. So it must be more when I make 150. When I make 200, when I make 250. And I mean, it it just kept moving up until here I was making, you know, a significant amount of money and nothing changed inside of me. Nothing. My, nothing. In fact, I was almost resentful. Like here I had money and yet it didn't buy me happiness. What the hell? What have I been chasing my whole, like, what is this about then if it's not about money? And what is it about? It's about purpose. It's about Mm. our mission. It's about using our gifts. Yeah. You know, I've had this information. I've been studying this for 20 years and I've been, I tried 10 years ago bringing this into the workplace and perhaps the workplace wasn't ready, but I wasn't ready. There was, I had healing to do before I could share this message. And so even though I had been studying a self-actualization, people development, human development, business development, any kind of development, I studied it from the time I was four. You know, I was observed people. I was an avid reader. I'm just fascinated by this, but I still could not see that the reason I was so drawn to it is because I had to save myself. Ah, All along, I thought I was going to save the business world, but I could not save the business world until I saved Until you saved yourself. And I'm not, you know, like fully healed. I'm on a healing journey. And Mm. I mean, it's night and day what it used to be, but I will never stand here and say that I'm fully healed because I think the day that we're fully healed is is our last breath in this world. (laughs) You know, like I'm, I'm, I will always be a student. I will always have things to learn. I will always you know, use my tools when my anxiety creeps up on me. And after living with it for so long, I might live with it for the rest of my life, but I have tools to help me. And so I'm okay with that. 
you know, but there's people that don't have tools that are, there are people that are in the dark and they're struggling and they have thoughts about not wanting to do this anymore. And I know that because I was there and if they're listening, I want them to know that there's a way out and I want them to read up on neuroplasticity and neuroscience and I want them to start meditating. You know, I, I want them to know that there is a way out of this, that it's just a cloud where they're at right now and it will pass. And they have the ability right now to begin their healing journey. You mentioned that you were diagnosed at 41, if I'm not mistaken. And what was that process like for you? What, what, did, what, did that, what was that? Explain that. Uh, well, uh, like on one hand, it was the best thing ever because all of a sudden everything made sense. The minute I got diagnosed, I'm like, what? what? Complex PT? What? What is that? Mm. And as I started reading up on it, I was like, oh, my, that's me. Like it spelled it out for me. All, everything, disassociation, uh, anxiety disorder, people pleasing, perfectionism. I mean, just everything that was in there, it was like written about me. Did you deny it? Did you have any deniability in this? Or no, were you completely no, open-minded? No, there was not an, I mean, it was like, so clear but okay so so let me let me ask a quick question here when people see this or they're diagnosed with this or they read about it is one of the common reactions to deny it and say no that's not me Uh uh-uh not not a chance or are people mostly open-minded to it because they want to heal you know my clients have been blown away like oh my god yes i have that oh yes i have that so i think it's more eye-opening but i i feel what happens after that it starts sinking in the degree to how much it's holding you back. Like I started realizing how deep those wounds were and how much healing I had. And it was daunting. It was like, oh, or, or I'd be doing good and it'd come up and I'm like, oh God, this again. And so there is that element to it. Like you realize how big this pile of, you know, how big it is, how big of a problem it is, how, how much it has affected everything in your life. But that's part of the awareness and it's not easy. It hurts, but that's where all healing begins. Mm. And so what was your personal realization? What, what was it that you discovered about yourself or that you had gone through? Oh, gosh. That was the darkest days of my life. You know, for me, it all came along because I got fired for the first time in my life. And I was the primary breadwinner for my family. My husband just started a new business. And we lived in the most expensive part of Orange County. And so we lost everything. And to me, that was my biggest fear always. So I got diagnosed when like my whole world was crashing before me. And I was just paralyzed. I didn't move off the couch for about six months. I would just drive my kids to school, pick them up. But in between, I I couldn't move. And that was part of the processing. That was part of the realization of looking in the mirror and, and looking at all the things that I had done such a good job running away from that I buried them. I buried the thing, everything I buried, I finally had to look at. And I came to the realization, and this was a pivotal point for me, that I really didn't know who I was. Like everything that I believed to be true about me was what other people wanted. And the only thing I knew about me was that I liked coffee. 
And that's all I had. All I had was Violet Rainwater likes coffee. And it was like I had one thing. And from there, it, I was open. Okay, who am I? What do I like? What brings me joy? Because those were things that I never even considered. It was always about what other people wanted from me because I wanted to be accepted. I was a Russian immigrant. I was a commie and I wanted to be an American. And so these were the coping mechanisms I picked up along the way to try to fit in and I just carried it with me my whole life and it was exhausting. So you, you mentioned that your family immigrated from Russia, right? At what age were you? I was four, right? When like the major programming mm. of the brain <laughs> starts happening. So our hardest decade was when my brain was getting programmed. Wow. And what was that process like for you? I mean, do you have recollections of that? I mean, Oh, yeah, I remember everything. I mean, it was just total poverty. You know, there's layers in trauma. And I just realized a year ago that I went the first five years hungry. And my parents didn't know and I didn't say anything. But you know, my mom just packed me a sandwich and an apple and I'd be gone eight hours. They were gone in the morning. So I got to have a bowl of cereal and I spent most of my days hungry. And I remember I would steal like I would go in the coat room and I would steal food from the other kids. And I had so much shame about that for so long. You know, and now that I'm a mom and I have children, I see how much they eat. I see how much my daughter needs in order, you know, to be a healthy individual. And and I realized how much it affected me. And I was feeling because I was hungry, you know, I was hungry. And so, I mean, and then there was emotional abuse and physical, I mean, there were so many different layers of the trauma. So, you know, but, but I, I honestly believe that I chose these things so that I could do the work that I get to do today. And so it was such a, you know, blessing to have that adversity, even though it held me back for so many years, there's nothing in the world I'd rather be talking about or doing or dedicating my life to than this mission. So it was the perfect environment. For well, me. I mean, that's the ultimate kind of paradox through your adversity and through your challenges you went through the self-realization, figure out a way that you could A, save yourself, help yourself, but now as a gift and your purpose is to help others because I think it's Absolutely. such an intriguing, yeah. it's such an intriguing concept, it's such an intriguing and important topic that unfortunately you, is, that, people so don't, that people that. don't talk about. No, they I mean, don't I, and I get I've so spent much pushback because of that. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I've spent the last, you know, I don't know, it seems like so many years having deep conversations with friends, with family, with colleagues, with partners, you know, talking about trials, tribulations, stuff that people have gone through, because it's all that I really, it's the one thing that I'm so intrigued to discuss with people, because to learn about how they overcame it and how they broke that glass ceiling potentially, or how they're in the process of breaking it, to me, it's the most inspiring thing. So maybe I do it for selfish reasons, because it just is so inspiring. But I also love to share the stories, you know. And, for sure, and, and for I, sure. Well, really and you must have sharing. quite a story yourself in order to be drawn to that, right? Well, there and, you go. I mean, that's the key right there. It's like we're only attracted to things that we have some connection to in our in our own personal lives, for sure. One hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. most definitely. I mean, the practical thing that I want to understand is here we are. We're a corporation. We're corporate America. We're a small business. We're a big business. We've got a laundry list of things to do. We've got shareholder value. We've got the board of directors. We've got our quarterly goals. We've got all these things that we want to accomplish. And we're in a maybe survival situation, maybe kind of a medium term investment situation. And we need to maximize our productivity. We need to figure out ways to improve morale and output and 
you know, so how can we kind of integrate this philosophy that you've been expressing? How can we integrate that into our business? I mean, the person that I'm thinking about right now, and pardon the cliche here, I don't know if you watch the show Billions. The show Billions is a really good TV show. It's on Showtime. And it's about this kind of tragic hero. His name is Bobby Axelrod. And there's this specific character. And you got to check this out. It's super interesting. Okay. Her name in the show is Wendy Rhodes. And she's played by the actress Maggie Siff. And okay. she's the performance coach. She works directly with this fictional billionaire, Bobby Axelrod. She's married to Chuck Rhodes, who's like the sort of um, public defender. And it's just this crazy drama. The reason why I'm saying this is because she is there in this business to do a lot of the things that you and I are talking about. And I think that you do now it's very dramatized and it's all TV and it's entertainment, but she's there to enhance people's performance through self-realization, through understanding what they've gone in, in their lives, how they can kind of embrace that ambition and then figure out ways to kind of break the glass ceiling and do the best that they possibly can. So the way that she integrates into the business is super dramatic and entertaining, but I will not digress anymore. And I, I want to understand how practically in the real world here, how we can integrate this into businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's why I started my business one year later. That's exactly the service that I provide to organizations, whether it's in the format of a keynote or workshops. My favorite are diving deep with a team in a workshop, rolling up their sleeves, getting them to actually feel, you know, what people need in order to really get something is they can't just see it and hear it. They need to actually feel it inside of them. And that's exactly what I do in my workshop. So the key is the key, like if you just want to like cliff note summary, the key to all of this is activating the parasympathetic wing of the nervous system. So it's more relaxation, more calm, more peace. So anything that gets them to experience that and to actually feel it and that's what we're wanting to incorporate into their business practice. We want to incorporate these peaceful practices. So now when they go and they start calling their prospects or they go walk into the meeting, they're coming from a place of peace, which is their power. Usually we're coming from a place of like, we're not even in our bodies. Like we're on, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? And what, oh, did I, did I pay the bill? And oh, I got to pick up Tommy after school. You know, so this is an opportunity to give us the tools to ground us and drive performance. But those are the very same tools that drive health and well-being in the workplace as well. So they work on both realms. They work in the, as driving business, but also driving health. And that's really my approach to business development is it has to be holistic, right? You're not successful if you're about to die from a heart attack. I'm sorry, that's not success, right? And I've seen right. it so often in the workplace, especially with men as they get into their 50s. Um, you know, I worked quite a bit in the insurance space and it was just crazy how many of them had bad hearts. It was just, it blew my mind. Like they had all this money, they had these thriving, well, businesses that did well, but their health, they had bad hearts. They were like a walking heart attack. Yeah. That's not successful, you know? So it's, it's really about educating as to what is going on really because there's what we think is going on and then there's what's really going on and then giving them the tools that they can practice right then and there and start promoting this culture of healing and that's exactly what one year later is about so talk to me about one year later 
Tell me a little bit more. What's the access? How do we learn about this? How do we integrate this? Absolutely. Well, One Year Later is a framework that I created. And actually, there's a really cool story behind it, if you'd like to know. Please. Um, so about 12 years ago, I was going through a bad divorce. I was a single mom. And I was going from two incomes to one income. My whole life was not good. And, and I wanted to stay in a good place. So I made up a game. And I called it one year later. Mm. And in my game, I ran into a girlfriend that I had not seen in about a year. And I started filling her in on all the amazing things that happened in my life. And so I started telling her because the number one goal for me at that point was that I had a place to live with my son because at that point I still lived with my ex-husband. So I talked about how I bought a house in Ladero Ranch and this beautiful cul-de-sac and had all these little kids. And the house had tall ceilings and wood floors and granite counters countertops and like I just started describing it and getting so excited and I kid you not that is the very house that I ended up living in mm. and then I took it further I took it in my career I'd always wanted to be a wholesaler and I was a financial advisor and I was not on the right path to be a wholesaler you had to go a different path which I couldn't afford but in my game somebody hired me based on my raw talent and I was a wholesaler and I was loving it and Ruben I kid you not I got the wholesaling position and when the manager brought me in to offer me the job he said you know we don't normally hire people with your career path but I see your raw talent mm. he used my same words wow. and so I, like I knew I tapped into something but I didn't realize what I tapped into and what I tapped into was energy and which mm. is very much what neuroscience and neuroplasticity is all about it changes our energy and so one year later is based off of everything that I learned from when I tapped into the power of incorporating our minds with our hearts so there's something very magical that happens when our minds and our hearts line up. There's an energy that gets sent out where we become creators very quickly. And so one year later is the entire branch of knowledge with all the tools that I picked up along the way to really help people get from point A to point B, all with mental health and well-being being the foundation for business growth and development. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's super accessible. I, I totally connect to that. You know, I mean, it's different. It's yeah, different. it's very much futuristic. It's very, but this is what we're walking into. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, the thing that I really connect to in your sort of body of work here is that corporate is made up of human beings, right? Yes. We're all individuals, right? Spiritual beings having a business experience rather. Exactly. And the success of the business is completely dependent on the mindset and the potential and the realized potential of the people that make up that business. Yeah. So if we're limited and if we're not free, you know, and we don't do the things that we need to do to be our best self, to be on our purpose, that we're effectively not growing the business as fast as we possibly can in the healthy way that we should be growing it. And I think that this self-realization is really the missing component. I mean, you've written some really interesting articles that I saw on LinkedIn that talks about how if we can be free and if we can detach or disengage that we can actually be more successful in sales yeah. and connecting, communicating. Yes. Speak to that a little bit. Absolutely. You know, when I grew up, you got to remember, I, I, as a financial advisor, it's a total boys club. I grew up with always be closing, dialing for dollars. You're only as good as your you know, last sale. And that couldn't be any more incorrect. You know, it's very much about the energy with mm -hmm. which we are coming from. 
And so in a world that teaches us to always be closing, think about the energy of what that is. That's not coming from a place of wanting to provide value and serve one another. It's coming from a place of, I want something from you. I'm lacking something. I, mm. you know, like I want to do this on you. And that, and that's not what business is about because if you think about what sales truly is, like when you have the perfect sales exchange, then both parties walk away better than before, mm. right? And so if that's the case, like if you're there to simply provide knowledge and to leave that person better than before, then it has nothing to do with the clothes. Then your job is to simply provide that service, knowing that it's going to come back to you tenfold as long as you are doing what is best for them. And that's just educating them. You know, so there's, forget the clothes, forget the clothes, just go and educate and try to be of value and love the person in front of you, you know, lift them up, let them walk away better than they were before. And that's going to blow up your business like nothing else, like nothing else. That is the key to business growth and development. Instead of holding on so tightly, my, 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 that, that's just going to block uh, success coming our way. So basically we've moved away from always be closing and now it's always be helping ABH. <laughs> or, well, I like to say always be connecting. Always be connecting. connecting. So go. it's still ABC. Yes. But it's just look for a reason to connect. Who cares if you get the sale or not? If you made them laugh, if you made them smile, oh, God is so well pleased. And so should you be. That's enough. That's enough. And that's how I was able to maintain an 80% close rate because I was not there to close. I knew how valuable I was after 18 years of being a financial advisor. I provided them a huge value just by sharing my knowledge. You know, so my goal was just to connect and make a difference in their day. And they wanted to work with me because they could feel that. They could feel where I was coming from. I wasn't there to close them. I wasn't there to make money off of them. I was there to connect with them in the most purest way. So here's my question, because I want to make sure that we, in this discussion, we kind of explain, at least to the extent that's possible, how we can make this truly accessible. So I'm picturing a scenario where it's a mindset change. It's someone that's working in a company and they have two ideas. Idea number one is that I want to focus less on closing. I want to provide more value, be more of an educator, more of a consultant. But then secondly, you know, I really want for me, for you, for my team members to really focus on talking about mental health, talking about childhood adversity right. and figuring out ways as a team that we can all get together. So how can we enable, empower this person, equip them with the arsenal that they need to go and evangelize yeah. this well, mindset, and, this you, idea? And mental health, it, you cannot have the other without the mental health. The mental health is the foundation. Yes. So unless you are mentally healthy, you really cannot be truly of service to another, right? So it's really about, so when you're asking about how do we implement these practices in the workplace, right? Is that what you're asking? Like, how do Most we bring definitely. this? How do we even get this on the list, on the table? How do we get this on the priority list? How do we evangelize it? You know, if, no, I, for, I think it really needs to start with a conscious choice that this mm -hmm. is something that we want to bring to the table, right? Because there's nothing stopping any organization from bringing in, they bring in trainers and speakers all day long. It's bringing in people specifically that can help this 
just putting that as the number one priority for 2020. And that alone is going to transform business. Just having that intention to want to change the culture and make it a place that well-being and um, people are thriving and, and well-being. It, people come to work at your environment because they know that health and well-being is the number one priority. So I would say it has to start with having a priority that health and well-being will be number one. And we're going to bring in the tools and the resources to, to start creating that foundation for the team. It's investing in that team and in their development. So you know what I'd love to see? I, I don't know if this exists. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know how if you go to an event website, let's say that there's some big conference going on. And of course, that costs a lot of money. There's hotel and, and airfare and whatnot. And sometimes there's a letter that you can download and it's called letter to the boss <laughs> and you download that letter and on it is just a pre-formulated letter that says, dear boss, you know, here's why I want to go to this conference. Here's what I expect to get out of it. I'd like to get a budget approved for X dollars. What do you say? And then you submit that and hopefully you get it approved, you email it, whatnot. And I'd love to see, you know, something like that where employees, team members, individuals have some sort of a way to raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm noticing something in the workplace. I'm noticing that I have limitations. I'm noticing that my colleagues have limitations, but I don't have the guts or maybe it's inappropriate for me to go and write an email or call a meeting or do something that's a little bit risky. You know, what if, what if they were sort of empowered with uh, something a little bit off the shelf where they could say, look, I just want to raise my hand. You know, here's what this expert, here's what Violet thinks that we could benefit from. As a, as a company, as a team, you know, I'd love yeah. to see that. I don't know if that exists. I, you know, that I think that's a brilliant idea. Actually, it's like a place where they can go to just sharpen their their uh, their skills a little bit in that in that aspect. I haven't seen anything like it, but I think it, you're right. I think it's about speaking up. Yeah. I think team members need to start speaking up about the type of things they'd like to see because they get called into mandatory meetings all the time. Right. I mean, they, they absolutely have a voice in this. And I, and I think that just like so many other people, unless we bring awareness to this and start talking about it, it's going to stay hidden. And so the, the, the one thing that all people can do is just start talking about it. Start talking about it, start sharing their stories, start talking about the need for tools, asking for help with tools. I can't manage the stress. I can't manage the workload that I'm under. You know, I need some tools. Even just having those kind of conversations, that's going to open up the workplace to start having to look elsewhere other than, you know, just bringing in a gym membership or, you know, which is great, but that doesn't get to the root of the problem. Well, I think, uh, you know, this, this, these commas are all about connections and they're about human connections, but they're also about connections of ideas. What yeah. are some of the things that you've heard of in your experience that people have suffered from early on in their life and then how it affects their performance or how oh. it affects their, more importantly, how it affects their happiness? Absolutely. G give me a list and just so that people can kind of understand yeah. some of the stuff that other people are going on so that they can know that they're not alone. Yeah. No, and I, I see it all the time. I mean, I have a lot of clients that are just brilliant women that for most of their career, they just never felt good enough. Mm. You know, and it's not just women. It's so many of us. And that voice not good enough keeps them in a state of always trying to achieve, trying to achieve, trying to achieve, trying to achieve. What, do you, what is it that you're trying to achieve? You know, there's never, they're running on burnout. 
they're running on empty, they're snapping and, you know, taking, they feel crappy. So they put their crap on other people. Um, anger, they get angry, worried, and they push the world away. There's so many different things. They have to numb. They have to have two glasses of wine every day when they get home. Mm. Right? So they're, they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They have to, you know, eat carbs to feel better or uh, numb out on pills. You know, there's so many different patterns. But the, and the, the hardest part about the workplace is it's so toxic. You know, it's so toxic in so many work environments that we're constantly in a state of fight or flight. And so we don't know the difference. That's the hardest part. And so it, you know, a lot of these clients, they're just constantly, my, my, a lot of my students are, before they have an awareness to it, they're always reacting. They're always in reaction mode. They're always, you know, not seeing their worth. And because of that, engaging in behaviors that are harmful to them. How many people can identify with that? Mm. So many of us, right? So there's so many symptoms. And I would say from an organizational perspective, the symptoms are disengaged teams, high turnover, low retention, low morale, low sales, um, uh, a lot of miscommunication. Like all, all of those are what keeps leaders up at night, right? And yet the root of that is people that really need to drive their own mental health. And do you think that this, this type of communication happens on a, on a more of a kind of a private basis where it's, you know, it's, it's two people, it's a manager, it's an employee, or do you, do you feel like this should be more of a team situation? Or, I think or team and individual. I think mm. both. I think we need to just start talking about this freely. Like, hey guys, I was really triggered last week when I lost this sale and I could just feel you know, all the thoughts coming over me. And then people start to chime in, you know, I used to feel that way all the time. Here's something that I did that has really helped me manage my triggers when I lose a sale. So now it becomes team effort in everybody's health, driving everybody's health, right? So the more that we are able to share, we, there's no shame in this. It doesn't have to, I'm not asking people to come and share like, you know, their scars and their wounds. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not looking in, like, I'm not a therapist. I'm talking about simple science. It's what happened to your brain when you had that childhood adversity and how it's affecting you today, how it's showing up today and what we need to do to change it. It's simple. It's simply black and white, you know, so there's no, you know, needing to hide or, or, you know, talk in private. These are conversations that we should really be having with each other and helping one another because all of us are struggling with the same things, just different things trigger us. But I think um, I, I would say that the, probably one of the biggest maybe objections to that or pauses to that, that people might feel or experience is that if they become vulnerable, if they disclose personal information about themselves, then they, they can come off as weak, they can be exploited, they can be taken advantage of. Fear starts to kick in, survival Absolutely. instincts start to kick in. You know? Absolutely. Especially if it's a competitive environment. For sure. Absolutely. Yes. But th that's the only way we're going to change it is people mm -hmm. that are brave enough to have fear and talk anyway. And that's what's going to take down the walls, you know? So that's why leaders have to start with themselves, start with their own struggles, start with the things that kept them from operating at their peak level. And what are some of the tools that they use to help them? You know, so um, there's a ton of fear, absolutely, because there's such a negative stigma. But the only way we're going to change that is by 
talking about it. By stepping up, by putting, putting yes. yourself out there and raising your hand. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't that excited when I realized that, you know, here I am going to spread the message of mental health. Do I want to be the face of mental health in the workplace? I wasn't too excited about that. You know? But <laughs> well, when we I realized it, so. like if I'm, if I'm not, then I'm going to be adding to the problem. If we're not talking about it, we're adding to the problem. And so here I am talking about it. Well, you know what? It's such an important message. And um, I mean, I think your, your work and your purpose is, it, it is, it's, I think it's single-handedly the most important things that people need to focus on in corporate yeah. because it's not about, just to your earlier point, it's not about tech. It's not about getting more tools, getting more stuff. It's just realizing, realizing our full potential, you know? Our full, it's self-actualization. Absolutely. Self, I mean, that's and what, what do you, mean. what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Self-actualization? So self-actualization is actually, um, well, it wasn't coined by Maslow, but he's the one who made it. So are you familiar with Abraham Maslow? He was often called um, the father of the human potentiality movement. He was a psychologist in the hierarchy of needs. Yes, exactly. And the top of it, self-actualization. So it's peak performance. It's how do we tap into our peak, our potential. And that's, that's what self-actualization is. And, you know, Maslow's my favorite teacher. Like the minute that I was introduced to Maslow and it was this quote that I, that like moved me. And every time I say it, it moves me. So um, it's his famous quote, what a man can be, he must be. So a musician must make music. Mm. A poet must write an artist must paint Mm. if he is to be ultimately at peace with himself what a man can be he must be Mm. and when i heard that in college i was like yes but how 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 do i be what i what i you know how how so maslow never got to the how but neuroscience and neuroplasticity wasn't discovered until maslow died like neuroplasticity so there was no way that he could have made the connection you know he talked a lot about what self-actualized people were and he believed only two percent of the entire population was self-actualized he thought the rest of us were basically mentally unwell right Mm. but he never really provided the steps to how to get to that side of it and that's what i've dedicated my life to and neuroplasticity is the key to unlocking human potential and neuroplasticity it's just essentially the ability for our brains just to to change and to To adapt to our surroundings yeah Yeah. by sending new pathways right there's people that know way more and can go way deeper but we we don't even need to know that all we need to know is that it can change and here's how we change it Mm. so how is self-actualization how does that juxtapose to this idea of self-validation, you know, on social LinkedIn, I mean, Instagram is going through all sorts of changes now. Likes are not being disclosed. The number of likes, you know, there, there, there are changes, there are fundamental changes that are happening in our society so that people don't misconstrue certain things that they see on the internet to be self-actualization, self-realization, self-validation, you know, proof, reasons to be happy. What, What is your take on that? You know, I think it's part of the root of all the depression and anxiety that we as a society have because we are looking online and we see what we feel everybody's life is perfect, you know, and that they don't have the problems that we have. And so there must be something wrong with us. It it just feeds into that whole not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. Most people I meet have a foundational belief statement that I am not good enough. 
and that's the foundation that they stand on. And then we look at all these, you know, um, like you said, social media and, and just even getting on social media hurts our brain, but then having to think about it and see all these perfect pictures, I think it's really harmful. You know, I feel like social media could be used in such a good way, and there are people using it in a good way, but I feel like it's extremely harmful, and more and more people need to turn off their social media and go in, go inside, meditate, get quiet, come in for your own inner guidance. Shut out that outer world because that outer world is really harming us and it's harming our mental state and nothing is more important than our mental state nothing so that's my two cents on it you know i struggle with it because i am active on linkedin and you know i do realize that you know there's an algorithm and you have to be active a certain amount of you know to really get things going but i struggle between wanting to be active and wanting to add to the harm. You know, I don't want to bug people 10 times a day. I really don't. I want people to look at me and think, meditate. I need to meditate. I need to do self-care. I need to activate my parasympathetic wing of my nervous system. And so I think just it's too much. It's And it's addicting and it's affecting our brain health. So I'm really not a big fan. And yet it, it could, it's such a, a platform to spread this message. So it's how do you find that fine balance? And that's something that I continue to think about and ponder on. And I'm always open for ideas or suggestions. Well, I mean, I want to hear more content from you around this topic and I want it to be more ubiquitous, you know, something that's more discussed in the workplace. Cause I've, I've been in some very interesting corporate experiences throughout my career. I mean, big conglomerates, large companies, small scrappy startups that end up in the graveyard. Like I've seen, I've seen a, a pretty, pretty big, gamut of, of diversity in companies. And I have to say that probably 0.001% right. of the time was, was spent on discussing, you know, mental issues and de yeah. definitely not childhood issues, definitely not childhood issues, but yeah, because they don't have an awareness either. They well, don't know. It's, it's also about, I, I historically, I think it's also about self-preservation, which is totally misconstrued. And I, I believe just, just blatantly inaccurate because self preservation to our earlier point, I do believe it's about vulnerability. And if you look at the most successful people on the planet, many of them are actually the most open people. You know, yeah. they understand that they've made mistakes, that they've failed, yeah. that they've gone through things and they've, they've learned from them. I mean, well, and that's key because I, I think when, at least for me and for the students that I've had, when we don't have an awareness to what is going wrong, we don't also don't have resilience. Like, mm. so when I used to make a mistake or I viewed something as failure, I didn't know how to get up from that because it touched so deeply upon the wound of I'm not enough. Right. And so when in reality, that's part of growth, falling on your face over and over rejection again and again, like that's part of it. And now from where I stand, you know, I, I, I'm going to stand on a very different foundation. I could never get my business off the ground before because I didn't have the awareness or the tools. I couldn't be resilient. And that's what it's going to take going forward. We have to be resilient in order to grow. We have to be able to persevere, you know, to, to be able to get knocked to the ground and rise back up. But we need tools for that. And so it's interesting that you, you know, that you were just, your final thoughts are on this because unless we have an awareness and the tools, we're not going to be able to grow. 
We're not, we're going to be able, we, we fall down and we don't know how to get back up. And that's the problem in the workplace. So many people have fallen down and they're just crawling. They're crawling. That's at what efficiency level they're working at. So how do we, how do we get in touch? Um, website, web address, next steps, yeah, so, social so, channels. Um, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I do videos a couple of times a week um, and you'll find me under Violet Rainwater. And my website is uh, www.oneyearlater.rocks, R-O-C-K-S. Uh, and all my workshop descriptions are on there. All my keynotes are on there. Uh, my phone number is on there. My email is on there. So lots of ways to get in touch with me. And um, yeah, I, I, as you can tell, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about speaking on. So the more companies that I can get in front of, the better, because that's the, the, that is what's going to change the workplace. That healing is what's going to completely transform the workplace from what we know it today. Amazing. Well, listen, Violet, I really appreciate your time. Such an important topic. Please continue to do what you're doing to be on your purpose because it's so important to me and to so many people. I know it. Thank you so much, Ruben. This was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for your time and happy holidays to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Happy holidays.